Good morning. Good morning. My name is Dylan, as my brother just mentioned, and I'm the youth pastor here at Life Church. It is so good to be here this morning, bright and early. Y'all are the, dedic- the dedicated crowd, so thank you for joining me today, bright and early. I know for some of you, I'm kind of a double digits guy, so once it hits 10 a.m., I'm awake before then, so I'm not responsible for anything that is said in this service. Um, with that disclaimer out of the way, now I want to uh, first and foremost thank Pastor Aaron and Miss Tammy. I, I, I truly do believe we here at Life Church have uh, some of the most phenomenal pastors in all of the country and all of the world. Um, could we give them honor? I know they're not here today, but they deserve it. They are awesome. It is awesome working here. I love them, and I, I've almost been here a full year now, and I absolutely am honored. Uh, to be working with them. Last week, my brother, Pastor Dustin Johnston, also my boss, that's an interesting dynamic, (laughs) also my boss, uh, began the series Mixtape. And the concept of the series Mixtape kind of stems back to when we were younger, uh, we would, okay, let me rephrase it like this. When you were younger, many of you, you would take these cassette tapes and you would record songs off of the radio and put them back to back to back and then you would listen to them on your tape. Now I would grab CDs and would make mixtapes on my CDs and it'd be the greatest hits that I loved and enjoyed at the time and I'd have one for every season, for every reason, for everything that I was going to do, I would have a mixtape. Now to modernize it a little more, uh, the mixtape of today are our playlists. They're playlists. Whether you're an Apple Music person, you're, you, you do Pandora or you're Spotify, I'm a Spotify guy, uh, wh- whatever your choice may be, playlists are the new mixtape. People have playlists for everything. You have playlists for uh, if you're going to the pool for the day. You have playlists if you're on your way to a concert. Like, you have to get in the mood to hear the music that you paid to hear. I I don't understand. You you have playlists for road trips. You have playlists for Halloween. You have playlists for Christmas. And some of you have already started listening to them. And you need to stop. We have, like, three or four major holidays before then. So, like, wait. Um, We have playlists for everything. In fact, maybe uh, you're you're here in the summer and you're needing... Um, a playlist, well, there's a perfect playlist on Spotify for you. It's called Summer Vibes. Perfect playlist for you. Maybe you, you want a genre specific and you love your R&B and you want to listen to chilled R&B. Or maybe you just want nice, relaxing music uh, to study or just sit at home and you want to listen to the evening acoustic playlist. Or, or perhaps you want the honky-tonk, the southern, good old hot country Playlist. That's not me whatsoever. I'm not a country guy, even though I have a country twang. Or maybe, because it is the best decade of all time, I am a 90s baby, you want the best of 90s playlist, which is some of the best music ever to be made in all of humanity. Don't argue with me. It's facts. Um, But regardless of your choice, there is one playlist on Spotify that has way more listeners than any other, way more followers than any other. I'm talking tens of millions of followers on this one playlist. It is today's top hits. And the thing that's interesting about today's top hits is that the curators of this playlist pulled together songs from all across many different genres, many different places, many different artists, and put them into this one playlist, and it's all the songs that are at the top of the charts at this time. So they put them all together so that you can just listen to the best of the best songs all at once. You can just run through them all together. 
And now in relating that to the Bible, I, I personally have a top hit when it comes to chapters, when it comes to books, when it comes to passages. And, 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 and specifically, I would equate the today's top, his, top hit playlist to the book of Romans. And here's why. Here's why. Not to, not to make Romans seem smaller. In fact, I, I want to elevate um, the concept of Romans in your mind uh, just by, by telling you why I personally believe this. Um, I, and I personally view Romans as such an important book because Romans has so much amazing truth, scripture, and, and, and foundation within it. It's so much quotability of Romans in and of itself. Just for example, just to start out, in the very first chapter of Romans, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to all who believe. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 6, 23, it says, For, uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 says so much. If you ever need just a good day, go read Romans 8. Uh, it starts off, no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. It goes to Romans 8, 37 and 39. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And there, I am convinced there are neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor any powers, nor, nor height nor depth, neither anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then you hop over to Romans 10, and it's saying how to get this thing which we talk about called salvation. And it says this, that if anyone confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And then it goes on to say that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you realize how much power, how much authority, how awesome the scripture that, that, that is contained in Romans has? Like, it's phenomenal. It's amazing. It's so awesome. So, so I, I value Romans deeply and immensely. I, I, to me personally, Romans is the top hit, one of the best books you could possibly read uh, of all time. And so I want to pull today's message in our series, Mixtape, from the book of Romans, specifically Romans chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, just to set it up real quick, Romans chapter 4 obviously follows Romans chapter 3. It's natural. And Romans chapter 1 through 3 uh, begins to depict in detail the need for salvation. Paul, the author of Romans, begins to write about how you and I, Jews and Gentiles, and all of humanity alike, need this thing we call salvation. And then in Romans chapter 4, Paul does something very daunting and very bold. Paul approaches a hero of the faith by the name of Abraham. Now, now, I need you to know that to Jews at this time, if you're talking about Abraham, you better get everything right. Because if you don't, I promise you it's not going to end well for you. Abraham was viewed as, as such an honored and revered figure. You, you don't, don't cross Abraham. Don't say anything wrong about Abraham. Like, you better be on Abraham's side at the end of the day. And so Paul begins to approach the story of Abraham, begins to talk about how Abraham could not achieve the salvation through his works alone. And yet there was a bigger thing at play called faith. And I just want to read 
this hit out of the, the today's top hits playlist of Romans to you. And then I want us to take some time and walk through it and discuss some of what it's saying. So in Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, it says this. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to, said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Those are some awesome verses. If that was written about me, like, I'm good, man. Like, that's awesome. If that is written, if that's how your story is written at the end of your life, that is phenomenal. If thousands of years from now you're remembered in that manner, that is incredible. Obviously, with Abraham being such a large figure in the Bible, such a magnanimous person in Scripture, all of the story isn't contained in those three, four verses. But if you want, later on, you can go back to Genesis chapter 13, um, all the way through chapter about 22, and you can read the story of Abraham. And sometimes when we read these stories, uh, we go from, from chapter to chapter, verse to verse, and we read it as if it's like, and the next day, and then this happened, and the next day, and the next day. But in all reality, from Genesis chapter 13 to Genesis chapter 22, we have years and years and years separating them. I mean, but, but, but when Abraham's story starts, when Abraham's story finishes, we have like 80 plus years confined within just a few chapters. And so don't feel like you're reading every exact detail as you're going along, but you're getting a glimpse into these people's lives and into these people's faith. Abraham was considered the father of the faith and is till this day considered the father of, of faith. And so today I think it only necessary uh, for us, as we look back at this, at this passage in Romans, to, um, to, to pull forth some of the concepts that Abraham exhibited there in Romans chapter 4, uh, that, that our faith may look like Abraham's. Because at the end of the day, I think if we all were to, to be asked, do you want to have faith? At the end of the day, I think we'd all want to say yes. No one's going to be, no, I don't want faith. I don't want to believe. I don't want hope. No, 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 you want faith. You want hope. In fact, I want to title this message this morning because I got to have faith. I got to have faith. And if you want faith like Abraham, number one, you must face the facts. You must face the facts. It said in verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. What did the facts say? His body was as good as dead because he was 100 years old. Listen, um, people lived longer back then, but it doesn't mean that stuff didn't start deteriorating at some point. Okay, so he's 100 years old, so he's facing the fact that his body was as good as dead, as was Sarah's womb, for she was about 90 years old. So they, they had really, really big facts to face at this time. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. What I love about this passage is the fact that he chose to face the situation in front of him, not to run from it. This Christianity that you and I live out is not some blind, ignorant belief. 
It's not this thing where we tie a bandana around our eyes and, and we live blindfolded to what's actually going on around us. No, no, no. What God has called us to do is to live in this world and to face the facts of the situation that come our way, not to hide from them. And yet so often I think we as Christians and we as, a, uh, we as the church, the capital C church, get criticized because we hide from issues rather than facing them. And God has not called us to hide. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of sound mind. And that's what we have been called to do, to face the facts. If you want a faith like Abraham, you must face the facts. It's, it's like this, recognize reality while trusting in God's sovereignty. You recognize reality. Hey, this situation is not ideal. My marriage is in the pits. My, my family is going crazy. My, my, my kid is running away from God, and they're not doing what I'd, call, what I'd train them to do. I, I followed Proverbs, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they grow old, they will not depart from it. And yet still to this day, he, he or she is not following the pathway. You recognize reality, but you trust in God's sovereignty. In other words, you face the facts, but you don't have to focus on them. You face the facts, but you don't have to focus on them. You see, I think in, in our culture today, we get, uh, especially in the Christian culture, we get on one of two sides of the spectrum. We're either on this side way over here where we are super spiritual. We're super spiritual. And when we're going through difficult times uh, w and we begin to have a conversation with people about those times, what we tend to do is to dress up our, our situations as if we're not going through them. What I mean is this. If you're sick and you're actually sick, and you're going through a very difficult time because of your sickness, and someone comes up to you and asks how you're doing, you are allowed to say, I am sick, and that's okay. But what some of us do is we're like, oh, I'm just on the pathway to healing. What? What kind of language is that? And we have these spiritual quips, quotes, and sayings in order to hopefully make us sound more spiritual, to, to seem like we have this faith that lifts us out of our situation. But no, 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 honey, your situation is real, the facts are there, and your life may stink right now. And that may be the truth. And so we're not called to live over here in an ethereal, utopian world that doesn't have real situations that we have to deal with. No, 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 we've got to deal with them. And yet on the opposite end of the spectrum... The other side we tend to sway towards is that we just begin to blend in with all of society. We begin to blend in with all of society, and instead of having any amount of faith, our, our faith is relegated to the concept that what's in front of us is all that is. And though God may have created us, he is no longer in it. He's just above it, and so he's allowing it all to work out, and we're just going to have to do with what we've got. Whatever happens, happens. Can't change it. And we just look like the rest of the world. But God has not called us to do that, nor has he called us to be super spiritual. He's called us to be in between, where we face the facts, and it may stink at times. And on the other side, we've got a faith that lifts us out of it. And we walk hands in hand with the facts and the faith. They're not called to be separated. They're called to be walked with together, with the facts and with the faith. Two, two people that did this really well in the Bible. Number one was the group of the three Hebrew children in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're at this place where they're, um, they're, their faith is being challenged. They're uh, at this place where they're they having to choose whether they will bow down to this image that was made in honor of the king or they will stand and only worship their God. And the punishment for not bowing down was going to be to be thrown into uh, a fiery furnace. 
And these three, three young men decided, we, we're not going to bow, for we removed the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make, make for yourself any graven images and worship them. And so we won't bow. And, and they come to this point where they're about to be thrown into the fire, and they look at the king, and they look at the king's men, and they say, if we are thrown in, our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we will not worship your gods. Esther, she has a whole book dedicated to her in scripture. Esther is the queen of this nation, and her people are on the brink of a genocide at the king's hand. And she is about to go before the king and risk everything. For if you were to go before the king uncalled upon, then you were risking your life, for you could be killed in an instant. And so she makes a statement, I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Both of these groups, the three young men and Esther, both of them knew the facts of the situation at hand, and yet both had the faith to lift them out of it. Now, I want to challenge you. Face the facts, but you don't have to focus on them. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, whom for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning and shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. A faith like Abraham is not one that shies away from the facts of life. A faith like Abraham is one that stands in the, in the face of those facts and still has a faith in God. If you want a faith like Abraham, you must face the facts. Number two, you must remember God's promises. Verse 20 said, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. That's a big statement. For how often do you and I waver and waffle through life, questioning God's promises and God's decrees and God's plans in our, in our lives? And what I love about God's promises is this, that they're spoken long before you and I ever step into them. What I mean is this, Abraham at the beginning, when God told him he would be a father, had zero children. Zero children. The closest thing he had to a son was a nephew named Lot. And yet God called him a father. And long before Abraham ever exhibited any characteristics of becoming a father, God spoke over his life that he would be a father. My question to you today is, what is God speaking over, to your, over your life that you've yet to step into? What is God calling you, ma'am? What is God calling you, sir, that you've yet to walk in? That next week, two months from now, a year from now, five years from now, you'll take a step into, and yet God, years ago, was calling you to that place. What is God speaking over your life? You see, the Bible is full of over 3,000 promises in Scripture, promises from God to people, uh, promises that have been fulfilled, are being fulfilled, and we will be fulfilled down the road. These, these promises are, are true, and, and here's the reason I can say that with full assurance, because God's promises are not contractual, God's promises are based in his character. Ooh, that gets me excited. Y'all I, I, I get it? Y'all don't care? I'm super excited about that. Here's why I'm excited about that. God's promises are not contractual like you and I make. We make promises like, hey, if you do this, I promise I'll do this. If you take care of this, I promise I'll do my part. If you do this, hey, I'll cover you when it comes time. I'll do this if you do. I promise. And yet God's promises are not that way. God's promises are rooted in his character. What I mean is this. Let me give you one example. And this is just one example, and you can walk through scripture and, and work the rest of them out yourself. 
1 John 4 says, whoever does, not, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Okay, so we have at the character of God, there is love. But John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that, who, that uh, he gave his only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God's promise is everlasting life through his son, and it was all given because of love. The love was his character. So the promise of everlasting life is linked to the character of God, which is love. Are you seeing what I'm saying? That all of God's promises are not a contractual basis where if you do these things, he will bring these things. No, no, no. They're all rooted in his character that is truth, that is love, that is purity that is grace and it's all rooted there and then it all stems from that so you can trust in god's promises but i think one of the reasons you and i are have a difficulty remembering god's promises is not because uh, we, we 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 question whether god's real or not but because we don't even know his promises to begin with and so i want to challenge you if that's you today and you're like i can't even begin to think of what his promises would be get in the bible and don't go looking for his promises go looking for his character Begin to read these stories and read it searching for who God is. And as you search and find, because the Bible says, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. And if, as you search and you find and you begin to study God's character, he, you will see his promises flow from that. If you want a faith like Abraham, you must face the facts. You must remember God's promises. And last, you must give glory to God. You must give glory to God. Verse 20 concluded following regarding the promise of God it says but was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God the English standard version the ESV says it like this he was strengthened in his faith as he gave glory to God what I love about that is that it links the two concepts together that as you give glory to God, as you praise, as you worship, as you exalt him, as you glorify God, your faith is strengthened. See, see, that's what I love. We come here and we sing songs and some of y'all think we're just doing cute Christian karaoke, but that's not it. No, 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 no. If that's all you think it is, we got some CDs at the lobby that you can pick up. You can hop on Spotify. You can grab yourself one of those karaoke microphones and the word scrollers at home. You can do that all by yourself. Listen, this is not Christian karaoke. What we're doing here when we come together and we sing our three songs and we join together in one voice, whether it's a good voice or a bad voice, it's a voice that's making a joyful noise. When we do that, we are giving glory to God and in return, it's building our faith. And what you don't realize, I'm sorry, I'm getting too excited. What you don't realize is that it may not be your faith in question that day that needs being built up, but it may be someone over here that needs to hear your voice that is giving glory to God. And as you praise, their faith is being built and their faith is being raised. And it may not be about you in that instant, but it's about you giving glory to God, faith being built in you and faith being extended outward. That's what we're doing corporately. That's what we're doing when we sing these songs. That's what we're doing. See, see this word glory in the New Testament uh, literally translates to the word value. Literally translates to the word value. In the Old Testament, that word glory translates to weight. So, so ultimately, we are called in our faith to not give weight and glory to the facts that we're facing, but rather to give weight and, to give weight and value to the God that we are serving. To not give weight and value to the issues at hand, but rather to give weight and value in our lives as to how we make decisions through the faith of the God that we serve. 
It's not rooted in our issues, but rooted in our God. Here's the ultimate truth of it all. Your faith will shake, but your God will not. Your faith will shake, but your God will not. You may find yourself in troubled waters, but can I tell you the anchor of your hope remains faithful and is holding true. Your faith will shake, but your God will not. As I prepped for this week and I studied the story of Abraham and I read this verse, it reminded me, his faith reminded me of uh, my grandpa's faith. Some of you were here when, when I spoke a few, few weeks ago, a few months ago, and I talked about my, my grandpa and how he came to faith in Christ the very first time. And how it was an awesome experience of him living in this house after coming home from war, and he finally went to church at the begging of the people that he was living with and came to church, got saved, chose to follow Jesus that day. Well, four years ago this week, I was at work in Houston, Texas at my church, and I got a call from my dad. And I picked it up, and I could hear his, ver his voice quivering as he said my name. And I don't know about you, but when, like, I'm not a crier. I'm not a feeler. That's not who I am. I don't really have these things called emotions. But when dad cries, it's like the floodgates open. And I am, I turn into just, a, just a, oh, it's the worst. So, like, I could hear my dad's voice quivering, and I'm like, oh, snap. I'm about to cry. And he begins to tell me, hey, just wanted to let you know, uh, Pop, that's what we called our grandpa, was having some trouble breathing today, and uh, they took him into the hospital, and they're having some tests on. On Tuesday, he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. On Wednesday, he was placed on hospice and given just a few days to live. And this is my grandpa who started the whole faith journey some 60, 70 years before that moment for my entire family and for the many families and generations to come. Now on hospice. So I remember driving up to Dallas from Houston. Spent the weekend up there. I had to be back in Houston for church. And so I spent the weekend up there and we're, we're all gathered. I mean, me, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, some of my, some of my cousins' children, we're all up there, and we're gathered around his bedside at the hospice facility. My grandpa's laying there, and he had been walking through Alzheimer's and some dementia for a few years now, and so his memory was fading, and he didn't really recognize faces or names any longer, and so we'd be there, and he'd have no clue who we were. In fact, at one point, he... He said, hey, could someone go get my, my, my umbrella out of the car? I'm ready to go. And I'm like, Grandpa, you can't go anywhere. Sorry. We're all gathered around the bedside there. And again, he had forgotten most of our names and most of our, our situations and most memories, per se. And yet, at every family gathering, one thing we would do was that we would um, sing uh, sing songs, sing old hymns. My grandpa was a big proponent of old, old hymns, and back in the day, my grandma, before she passed away, would play the organ, and they, I mean, it was just awesome. Um, but what wasn't awesome was our, the voices of our family. We were bad singers. 
Like, there may be one or two that were decent in there, but, like, uh, overall, we would have been failing in choir, right? Like, and so we'd be singing these songs at, uh, at our family gatherings when we'd all be together, and there'd be 20 or 30 of us singing, and I would have to roll over onto my stomach um, out of laughter to cover my face so that the other family members didn't get offended. And I remember once my uncle was like, hey, are you crying? And I, I couldn't respond because I knew if I did, I would audibly laugh and it would ruin everything and I wouldn't get Christmas presents anymore. <laughs> so we'd sing. And no, no matter how funny it was to me in the moment, it always held a special place within me. Uh, and it was always a, a memorable time for me. And a time where I looked around at my grandparents and my uncles and my aunts and my parents, and I would see tears coming from their eyes. I'm like, we're sitting in a living room. We just ate way too much food. Why are you crying? Maybe that's why. And it would be like faith would be building in their hearts. And so we're gathered around my grandpa's bedside uh, on this weekend that, that he had been placed in the hospice, and he'd forgotten most things in life, but when we began to sing, he picked right up. And he began to sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. My father had him pray for my brother and I. He placed his hands on us and he began to pray and he inserted scripture. You know, like people are super spiritual when they put scripture in their prayers. It's like, what? So he inserted scripture into his prayer, and I'm like, Grandpa, you, don't, you can't remember anything, and yet here you are remembering. And I look back, and I think, if I get to the end of my life and I forget everything else, may the one thing I remember be to give glory to God, the one who created me, saved me, and sustained me through life. May I be able to sing the songs of glory to my Father in heaven. May I be able to quote scripture uh, and remember his graces to me all throughout my life. Though I may forget names and faces, may I, like my grandfather, have the faith that still at the end of my days is singing his glory and that's how I view Abraham yet he did not waver through unbelief regardless of the facts at hand his faith stood strong but some of you like me know that outside of this Romans narrative that we have of Abraham's life if you were to go back into Genesis chapter 13 14 15 all the way up to 22 Abraham didn't seem to always be perfect. And me, as a very analytical and skeptical person, looked at that and said, wait a second, something's not right. Paul, you said he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but when I look at Abraham, there were two different times that Abraham almost handed his wife off to somebody else because Abraham claimed that she was a sister. I'm talking messed up stuff. Abraham attempted to take the promise of God into his own hands through having a child with Sarah's maidservant. We see Abraham and Sarah laugh at the promise of God because of their old age and question it time and time again. Which makes me realize that you can have an unwavering faith in God 
and still have questions and doubts and, 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 and mess ups. Aren't you glad, and this is the beauty of grace, aren't you glad that we are not defined by momentary mishaps or momentary mistakes? Looking back at the narrative of your life, aren't you glad, aren't I glad that I am not defined as a whole by momentary mess-ups, but rather, in view of God's grace, through the lens of Jesus Christ, we are viewed by our faith. So, so Abraham, though he messed up, though he may have struggled at times, he did not waver in, through unbelief regarding the promises of God because his faith stood the test of time. Here it is. It's not about a flawless faith. No, because if it was about a flawless faith, there would be no need for Jesus. It's not about a flawless faith. It's about having your faith in a flawless anchor, whom is God. Yeah, you're going to mess up. Yes, you're going to fail. Yes, there's going to be times where you want to quit, but don't. Because it's not about a flawless faith. It's about a, flaw, a flawless father, whom is God. Which makes me think, could this story about Abraham not be about his own glory whatsoever? Perhaps it's not about let's place him in the hall of fame, but rather, could it be that his story is just a shadow of a story to come later on? A story of another covenant and another, and another person and another process. What I mean is this. Could it be that the covenant that God made with Abraham just be a shadow of a covenant that he made with all of humanity through Jesus? Because in Abraham's story, it was about a womb that was dead that could not bring life forth. And it took God stepping into the situation to bring life out of a dead place. And yet with Jesus, didn't we see that after dying upon a tree, he was placed not in a womb but in a tomb? Hey, oh, it rhymes. Uh, he was placed in a tomb. And it took God stepping out of heaven to raise the dead to life. Two different situations, two different covenants. God bringing dead things to life. Could it be that none of this is about us whatsoever, but it's all about him? And so when we're walking throughout our days and we're going through difficult times, hey, honey, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And so whether it's good or bad, let me give glory to God. Paul says, whether I eat or drink, let me give glory to God, meaning in all situations. Let me give glory to God, because here's what it boils down to, friends. At the end of those verses, it says, Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And that's our ultimate goal, righteousness, right standing with God. And it was through his faith, not his works, not his striving, not his trying, not his achieving, but through his faith. I want to pray for us, and then I want to give some further instruction about what we're going to do. So would you bow your heads with me? God, I ask that you would in the next few minutes, as we give glory to you, that you would grow our faith. that we would, in the midst of facts, in the midst of 
things that would make us waver and doubt and question. In the midst of a situation that, that may try to, um, try to blow us off course, that God, today, we would bring that before you. We would face it head on. And we would lift our eyes to you and give glory to you. And as we do, our faith would grow. And that it would be a cycle that as our, our faith go, grows through giving glory, we would only want to give more glory to you. And as we give more glory to you, our faith grows even more. And the facts in the process of that seem smaller and smaller, not because they have less of an impact, but because our perspective is lifted. God, I pray that you would lift our perspective, elevate us out of the conundrum and the mundane of our lives and enable us to see you in the midst of it all. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.